0: Hi everyone, this is Katherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 334. And tonight we're recapping, Welcome to Night Vale number 216, The Ball is Where the Wind Is. This was quite a departure, I thought. It sure was. From the very moment it started, completely different Night Vale intro music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly you hear this deep voice saying, 1997. And then Steve Carlsberg starts talking. And Steve Carlsberg is the only voice that we hear for the whole episode, other than the intro of, for each year. Yeah, and it's him, when he starts talking in the very beginning... He has, for the very first time, started coaching the Nightvale wheelchair basketball team, the high school team, right? The yeah, high school yeah team? the high yeah. school team, yeah. And when I say that he just started coaching, I mean, apparently he got selected halfway through the game because the previous coach accidentally looked into the box of, um, what is it, the box of infinite despair. Yeah. So that's something you really shouldn't do. And he doesn't really know anything about coaching, and you can tell, but he's enthusiastic, and he's trying mm-hmm. to tell everybody to, we've got to get out there and win. Oh, but also, uh, everybody, please don't touch the box of infinite despair. He's going to take it out (laughs) to his car. He has to tell that a couple of times. Like, okay, don't touch it. Does anyone have any gloves while I carry this? And there's something that I noticed throughout this entire episode. So we could, you know, we took so many notes because he just kept on saying all these really interesting things. And so I don't want to sit there and like recap the entire episode word for word. But one thing I noticed is in every single segment. It's like he always knew the right thing to say. And I'm not talking in like a sports movie, the most stirring, amazing thing ever. No, no matter what the situation was, he always said something that was good and positive, but truthful. And what he said at that first game was, I know that I haven't proven myself to you as a coach, but you guys have already proven yourselves to each other as a team. And so that was just like just like to come in right out the gate and say something that was that nice. I thought that was really cool. It was, yeah. And we see a progression of his career as the high school. It's the wheelchair basketball game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we see him growing as a coach, and but we also see all the different... Situations that the team is in, what kind of seasons they've been having. Like the next one is 2003 and they're really having to hustle because apparently it's a really rough game. But he's telling them that the games where it's a complete blowout, sure, it might be relaxing to just know that it's a foregone conclusion in the second half that you're going to win. But the blowout games don't really mean as much. I mean, if anything, it kind of proves that they don't deserve to be on the same court with the other team. They're out of their league. So it's, it's... It's the games where you really have to struggle and where it's a real question about whether you're going to be able to do this and what you learn about yourself as a sports player. And I thought, that is so damn healthy. That is just – throughout this entire episode, he says things that are so – Validating and truthful, but also makes you think about where you are and what this means and how you handle it, even even success or failure. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think there's a lot of stuff that he says. I'd I'd love it to get some opinions from Hannah because Hannah is definitely the sports person in the family. She (laughs) always Mm -hmm. has been, and. I think she would agree that the games that are really close are so much more satisfying. I mean, nobody wants to lose. But if you have a game where you beat the other team, just, you know, just blew it out of the water and they didn't have a chance. Like what he said, it means that you've really outclassed the other team. So that, that I really like all the things that he said. And I think Hannah would agree with that. Oh, yeah. I mean... Nathan and I went to a playoff game for the Carolina Hurricanes, and I'm pretty sure it was against the New York Rangers, where we were just about to lose, and everybody was leaving the arena early. And like in the last two minutes of the last friggin' period, they scored and we ended up winning in overtime and all those people yeah. who left early because they knew a you know a, a foregone conclusion wasn't exciting anymore but my god it was great to stick around to actually oh, see god. it happen that's <laughs> glorious <laughs> so And by the way, in between all of these different segments, we have the new kind of different music playing. And it was really very cool. I really liked it. I'm sure it was disparition as usual, but it was different from stuff that we've heard before. And it was really neat. It was a little more more techno than usual, which, of course, Mm -hmm. I love. So, yeah. And I was just kind of bopping along with it. Yeah. So, the next segment is 2009. And You hear him, and obviously, it's not going as well as the last time he was talking because he's like, All right, everybody, you all have to just leave the court behind for a second, leave everything behind. Everybody, look each other in the eye and take three slow breaths. And they do, and then he's like, You know, I know that this has been a tough season and I know that nobody wants a season where we don't win a game but sometimes that's just what happens and in the scheme of things in your life this is not gonna be that big of a deal it really really won't and it's just once again they're obviously having a terrible game as part of a terrible season and all the things that he says are just really really nice But he's not telling him, like, ah, it doesn't matter. He's still telling him in this segment. All those segments are always taking place in between the first and the second half. Mm -hmm. And he's like, for this second half... You, you still have to go out there and you still have to play and you have to make memories and you have to know that you tried your best, even though it's maybe not technically possible to win things with the score being what it is, but you never know. <laughs> so, it's like, it's like encouraging, but not, he's not berating anybody. But you can, I mean, he obviously grasps the situation. That's the thing that can get irritating about people who want to be relentlessly positive in the face of strife, because you can tell they don't even want to face the fact that this is a bad, situation. They're just trying to be positive so they don't have to think about it. And he said at one point, and I know aggressive ignorance in the face of all available information is bliss, oh, but it's true, which is a great, great quote. But yeah, but he's actually, and he mentions at one point about we've got to get out there and do our best whether we win or lose or tie can basketball games in a tie that would be so great if we could have a tie. So, <laughs> you can tell he cares. He's invested in this. Yeah, he really is. So we have the next segment is 2012 and it's another, you know, the tides have turned again and this is going to be a game where they win very easily. And so what does he do in that case? He says, now let's give the junior members a chance to play. And that's, you know, that's awesome. If you know that you really are going to have an actual easy win, well then some of the people that you don't always put onto the court really need to get out there and play because they're never getting any better unless they play. So I like that. Yeah. And we hear a few more like, incidentals about some of the team members like he tells them um, what was it oh, let's see uh, where's Tasha where's Tasha oh there you are let's try to keep things on the visible light spectrum so I would love <laughs> to see what that is and he talks about to this one player and he tells her he knows that she's disappointed that she's had to be sitting on the bench for most of the season but he knows she's going to be a great player next year um, but I'm not exactly sure how that's gonna work because apparently she's a piece of polished glass. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, that's Night Veil vale for you. Yeah. But yeah, and in amongst all of this is also. Steve is dealing with the fact that in 2012, that's when Cecil didn't like him at all. And Mm -hmm. Cecil was in the stands at the time covering the game and saying really mean things about Steve all the time about his hair, um, about the fact that his car was kind of junky, which he said, Well, I'm sorry, but as a bank manager, we really don't get paid what the market thinks we should. And you know, it becomes clear that with Steve as a bank manager, and his wife who is a high powered lawyer, they don't get paid for well. And that's sort of accepted that they're not the high-powered jobs in Night Vale, which of course they're not. No. And we've talked about this, I think, a couple times. But, you know, of course, in the beginning of Night Vale, (laughs) you always heard Cecil going, oh, Steve Carlsberg. And it was really funny to hear him hate on Steve. And then we had everything get reversed. And I forget which episode that happened in. But all of a sudden, Cecil absolutely loves Steve. And he the way he talks about it, it's like he always has loved Steve. And for a while, I thought it was just a night veil, bit of weirdness where time kind of got flipped around and maybe the past got changed somehow. But no, Cecil may say that he always loved Steve, but Steve knows that Cecil treated him horribly for years. And I think, after all the things that they said in this episode, that's, there's going to be a reckoning at some point. There really is. I think there has to be. I mean, you can hear the, the desperation in Steve's voice as he's trying to be chipper and trying to encourage all the girls on the team to play their best. And he's just dealing with this that yeah. and I don't I don't know that we've ever seen quite this far into just how much Steve was having to deal with this how badly yeah. it was affecting him because Steve has always been really positive and trying to see the best in everybody but Cecil was horrible to him yeah he's talking about this game that they're playing and it's like been this really good game and they're having this really good season he's like even though my brother-in-law is kind of out there ruining it for me and I'm just like oh god don't let for Steve oh, <laughs> (laughs) Holy cow. Uh, We move on to 2016, and... Steve's uh, stepdaughter Janice is now on the team. And he is telling everybody about the fact that just because Janice has got like the top spot on the team, it's not preferential treatment on his part. I mean, she is definitely the best player. And he's also telling her about the way she's got to hustle more. She's got to earn that spot on the team every second of every game. And he is trying so hard to make sure all the other team members don't resent Janice for the fact that she's gotten this spot. And then after he talks to them, he takes a moment to talk to Janice and tells her, I just... I want to make sure that you're okay because I'm trying to make sure that nobody has a problem with you having that spot on the team, but I feel like I've gone the other direction. So I just want to, I'm sorry, because you don't deserve that. So he's really trying to balance everything. And it's it's very heartening to see. And then we go from, Oh, I, but before we move on to the next segment, I wanted to say that it's funny that the team that they're playing mm-hmm. against that evening is the Sage City Truck Monsters. <laughs> and it's so funny, all... The team names in Night vale are always the opposite of what the name actually is. Like we've got, I think it's the Red Mesa Ant Carpenters. <laughs> and uh, there's something, the Spider Wolves is another one. Huh. And so this one, the Truck Monsters, Monster Trucks. I'm like, ah, I see what you're <laughs> So we go on from there to 2020. And this is, I mean, this is really awesome because it's Janice's final half of her final game on the team because she's going off to college next year and Steve is just taking the time to talk about what a brilliant career she has had on this team and how proud he is of her. And she's taken them to the championship. Um, she has just done amazing jobs. She's proven in every way that he made the right choice to put her on the team and to give her one of the highest positions on there. I don't follow basketball, so I honestly don't know what that would entail, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> starter. I'm sure the word was used at one point. Yeah, go team. Get the points. Woo-hoo-hoo. And also he mentioned now, by this point, we've had that reversal that I talked about. And he said, I've, I've asked Cecil to take down the banner that says, I love my niece and my brother-in-law. It's a really nice gesture, but it's a little distracting having it hang four feet up over the middle of the court. So hopefully Cecil will take that down. And he says at one point, oh, hey, it looks like the halftime show is just wrapping up. And then we go to the music. I'm like, oh, we don't get weather this time. We get halftime. That's right. And it was Estrange Us by Joseph Herbst Sextet. And it was an instrumental. And it was an instrumental. And it was, how do I describe this? It was jazz. It was jazz. Think about jazz improv. That's what it was. So with a lot of horns and then backs down a little bit to a bass and then kind of noodles along with a piano every once in a while. And then it gets really, really violent sounding and all, all improv. So- so yeah. rather impressive, I thought. Uh, very impressive, though. It was like, it was really jazz. And after a while, I'm like, I'm starting to tune out a little bit here. So, but it was really very well done. Yeah. I wish I knew more about jazz, but I tend to associate jazz with. What the situation was when I was listening to it. Like, um mm-hmm. Do you remember Cousin Chris's wedding? They had a jazz band mm-hmm. for the reception? Yeah. I remember liking yeah. that very much. Like that Me so too. much. Do not know a thing about jazz, but boy, that was such a fun situation. So now I associate that type of jazz in my mind with fun situations. And after that, it's 2022. And I had guess I had assumed for some reason that Steve I don't know, once Janice wasn't on the team anymore. Steve wouldn't be the coach anymore. I had not really realized, I don't think Janice had always been part of the team when he first started coaching. Right? I don't think he had. I think back in 1997, no. she was probably still too young to be on the high school team. So he was Got actually it. coaching for a couple of years after she graduated. Yeah, yeah. And, uh he's just telling the team he's sounding a little sad, I guess, but he's not going to be the coach anymore. What was it that uh, the reason why he's not going to be the coach anymore? Yeah, he said Francis Donaldson found a scrap of yellow cloth in the trunk of her car. And that means she's been selected to be the new coach of the wheelchair basketball team, which is apparently how they do it in Night vale, I guess. Yep, yeah, that sounds fine. So he's just sort of This is gonna be his final game. He's telling everybody they've been doing great out there. He's just telling everybody how proud he is of all of them. And he's just talking about, you know, sure, there were some years that things were great and some years that they couldn't seem to win a game, but that they were all, they all meant something to him. They were so important to him. And once again, he's just saying all of the right things. And he also mentions the fact that Cecil's got a little ceremony planned for his final game. And he knows it's probably going to be a little long, and it'll probably be a little much, and that Cecil can be a little overbearing sometimes. And I like what he said here. He said, intentions are not everything. In fact, in many cases, they are not anything, but it's worth keeping them in mind. Yeah. So he's still trying to see that Cecil has a good heart about all of this, even though yeah, I think you're right that there is going to be have to be some kind of reckoning with Cecil mm. because he does he's now kind of running roughshod over Steve with his yeah. like determination to be a good brother in law, but it doesn't sound like he's even acknowledging why that's important. No, like no. what he's making up for. Nope. 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 So did you get the um, writer's notes for this episode? Did they already send that out for the Patreon? They stuff? did, yeah. I was going to read that later on. So any okay. anyone yeah. who wants to sign up for the Patreon, the director's notes that you get for every episode is always interesting because sometimes it's what they had in mind when they were writing it. Sometimes it was what was going on in their lives that led up to this that made them want to write an episode like this. Yeah. I just got this feeling that... Everything that he says, it's so perfect, but it also seems like something that someone could actually say. And I feel like they probably went around to their family and friends and was like, what was the best thing a coach ever said to you? And I feel like a lot of that has made it into the episode because it was just, it was really lovely. You would want to have a coach like Steve. You would, yeah. And I understand we've got several cases of youth... um, women's teams that are, or just women's team in general that are complaining about the horrific style of coaching that happens. Mm. And I wonder if this is a bit of a reaction against that, like, you know, because I mean, it it, sometimes it goes back to the whole idea of, um, like, directors who treat their actors and actresses like crap, that everybody has this idea that it's an either or that you can you know, you can be a good person, or you can be an asshole and create good content. And I think some people treat coaching the same way. It's like, you can't give people good advice as a coach and still be nice. Yeah. And it's it's such a shame because, you know, we think about like the orchestra that i played with for so many years. Our conductor is super strict in rehearsals. Now, he doesn't yell at individual people, though I hear he used to do that. I hear that he would target people who made mistakes. He doesn't do it anymore, but he goes after sections. And I've just, I've always just get so irritated about it. But I think the orchestra makes really good music. And... I have been part of orchestras where the conductors are really super nice and nothing ever gets done. And I'm like, that's just, (laughs) it's disheartening. I don't like the idea that somebody has got to be, like, unpleasant in order for things to be good, you know? Right. Well, I guess maybe it's drawing a line between unpleasant and actively abusive. Yes, exactly. Uh, That whole thing with targeting people individually. I'm like, if that had been the case, I would have left that orchestra a long time ago. So that's it for Night Vale. I really liked it. I did. Yes. That yeah. was a very, I, when they mix things up like this, it's always a little refreshing. Yes, it is. So now you guys actually just watched the episode, the sound of her wings on Sandman. Oh, they did such a fantastic job on that episode. They did. I mean, the, yep. their choice for the actress to play death was great. Um, the music. Oh my God, the music. music. When death is just going to these people and their first reaction is to be scared and to say that it's not time. I'm not ready. There's something else I have to do. I can't go right now. And she just, she calms them down and just guides them on to the next thing. And Morpheus always leaves the room or turns around and you hear the sound of wingbeat. And you can see the the shadow of these wings taking off somewhere. You don't really know what happens when she takes people onto the next phase, whatever it is. But it was just so beautiful. And Neil Gaiman's writing, man, I mean, he created death. And this whole idea that death is the person that you would want to see at the end, just exactly who you need to see. And she's also talking about the fact that, you know, she and Dream and all their siblings, they need humans as much as humans need them, and which is yeah. a lovely way of looking at it. Although, I don't know, because I think about some of the other members of The Endless that we'll be running into soon. I don't think Desire really thinks that they need humanity. I think Desire treats humanity as toys. Yeah, though Desire would certainly not have any fun if humanity wasn't around. Right, I mean, yes, yeah. that's true. Yeah. And it's interesting that she also, Death talked about, How for a while there, the fact that people are so scared to see her and run from her and are just terrified and don't want to go with her, and that really bothered her for a long time. And I know you remember it was the Endless Nights collection graphic Mm -hmm. novel of stories, which is one of my favorite Sandman collections. Oh, just a, a different story for every one of the Endless and a different artist for every story, and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous, and it's actually... I believe it's Dream's story, and it's telling the story of why he hates Desire so much, and I won't give it away, but it takes place on another planet. So it kind of, I like the fact it had a little sci-fi feeling to it, lets you know that the endless are the endless for everyone in all places. But Death actually shows up briefly there, and she is not the Death that we know from Sandman. She is just, I don't know, I mean, emotionless, I suppose, Um, a little cynical, a little, almost maybe, almost mean, I suppose? The things that tells you what she's like is that you see three of the other characters who aren't the Endless. I think they're representations of stars, I think. Yes. And they're all three talking and they're laughing And then all of a sudden, they're identical expressions of sudden shock and horror. And it's because they've seen that death has shown up. And at this point in her existence, she is not the person that she would want to be around. No, no indeed. So, um, But she's, I don't know, she talks about getting past it and realizing that she's got a job to do, which is nice because, you know, Dream's been sulking because he's finally got, you know, all of his power back and everything. And he'd been trapped for so long and he'd been thinking about revenge. And so he's got his revenge and it didn't mean anything, you know? and he's just kind of stuck. Yeah, he wants a purpose in life other than his, what is it? How do they refer to it? What they're assigned to do, I think. I don't know. Did they talk about their realm or their, I don't know, their calling? I can't remember what they said. No way to know. Yeah, something like that. But this idea that, you know, he wants a purpose, but something separate from what he's assigned to do. And it was Death who pointed out that that is her purpose, that you have to make that your purpose. So, Mm -hmm. but she also points out the importance of, you know, when you need humanity, it isn't just humanity as a whole, but individuals. And she talks about his project. And what we find out the project is is Hobgadling. And you had told me at one point that I was going to like the story that they paired with The Sound of Her Wings. And I really do. Yes, Because this is the story of how death met Hobgadling and how Hob was able, you know, I I guess Death did this on a whim, although I don't know, maybe it's something that she studied for quite a while, but Hob was just this person hundreds of years ago talking with some pals in a tavern saying he thinks it's a stupid idea to die, and the only reason why people keep dying is because everybody's always done it that way, so he's just not going to die. Now, Death wants Morpheus to have a friend, and Morpheus thinks it's interesting to prove Death wrong because he thinks that... A hundred years is gonna be enough for any human to decide, nope, I'm done with this. I can't stand living forever. I'm gonna be, I'm just gonna go ahead and die now. So they just, they meet at a tavern every hundred years and it's lovely. It is lovely. Now, I went back and read the issue that this comes from and they did a fantastic job with the translation, I think. And Mm -hmm. it's something, if you read the issue, look at what people are talking about in the very first bar back in like the 1400s, I think, Mm -hmm. all the different things that they say. And then you get to the final bar at the very end, and look at what they're talking about. It's the same thing. They're all, it's the like, exact it same thing. People are talking about the fact that no one's going to want to work if they just get handed money for free, something like uh-huh. that. Just the, the more things change. Yeah, I mean, for crying out loud, they they're telling the same dirty joke in both times. And like, That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to like give away the whole episode because they did a great job. I mean, and also I will say that Joanna Constantine. Constantine, as they are saying in this, which I'm Mm going to go ahead and say they're pronouncing it the way it's supposed to be. It still sounds weird every time I hear it. It's like, it's not Constantine? Anyway. um, So Joanna Constantine, who, of course, showed up in a few episodes ago, but in the original story, that had been John Constantine. And I had thought that I just assumed that they had just completely gender swapped the character completely. But Joanna Constantine is in the original issue where Death and Hobgadling are meeting. They actually have that moment, and I was like, "Oh, she's she's an actual character in the series. She is." And I was, and I think she's John's mother. So I was wondering, is this Joanna that we're seeing in the past? Is that the Joanna from the past, and the one from Episode Two is her daughter, or is this the same character throughout time? I don't know. I have no idea. But I, I think. Um, it's You know what? I think it's her daughter, because I don't think Joanna Constantine in the second episode knew who Morpheus was. I thought she did. Oh, maybe she did. Well, she knew of the endless, I think, but she didn't necessarily know that that was one of them. Right. So, yeah, Yeah. I I don't know. But yeah. Oh, so nice. And you saw a little bit more like, okay, now this is funny because we're watching this and... Morpheus mentioned to death that he had had to miss his last meeting with Hob Gadling because mm-hmm. it was in 1989, which is when he was still imprisoned. In the original yeah. comic book, he actually was able to make that visit because yeah. he was free by that point because the comic book came out in like 88 or 89 something like yeah. that and I told yep, Nathan yep. it's really interesting to watch them have to adjust the timelines on this when the original story was, was like 20 years out and there's a pause and Nathan said the original story was 30 years out. I'm like, oh crap Jesus no it wasn't. God. Oh no. no. <laughs> oh no. Uh that, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, my bones just turned to dust. <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> yeah, we did a podcast at one point. I remember we were talking about X Files and talking about oh, that it was the 20 year anniversary of it. And the guy I was on the podcast with is like 20. And I was like, what? Wait, no, wait. Yeah, 20. 1993. <laughs> He's like, oh, God. And now it's 30. Can you believe it? Next year is the 30th anniversary of the X Files coming out. <gasps> ugh, 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 ugh. I can't believe this. You know, you'd think I'd be more used to this since we went to. Um, the live showing of the Transformers the movie from the 80s oh, and it was the 35th anniversary I think yeah, and yet it so. hits me like a ton of bricks every time because I am still and thinking that the 1980s were 20 years ago exactly nineteen 10 years ago it's always been 10 years ago just, <laughs> uh, oh, my dear lord and then you hear on Twitter people talking about kids talking about, you know, before the year 2000. They're calling them the late 1900s. And I'm like, oh, oh God. God. Now, there was, I think somebody had posted on Twitter that, what was it, that they were getting carded and someone wanted to know their birth date. And they started with 19 and they said, okay, that's fine. And I'm like, what? And it's like, because if you were born in the 2000s, you're already old enough to drink. I'm like, oh, my God. I know, it's crazy. I'm like, oh. <laughs> That hurts. Binary System <laughs> Podcast. We're old. In <laughs> fact, we are in the process of planning our birthday. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to say. We're really, not going to say. It's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, that's a thing. So uh, moving on. Uh, it was a very good episode. I really enjoyed it. And I I mean, I'm really been very, very impressed with how close they're sticking to the story. We're still giving us some little new wrinkles every once in a while. Yeah, because you really did see how Hub was so because he in the comic book they definitely had an argument because Mm -hmm. morpheus didn't like the idea that someone suggested that he needed anybody or that he was a friend and you really saw when morpheus missed the meeting in 1989 how much that hurt uh hob the fact that he felt that he'd driven him away and that it was so stupid like and and it was just so nice to see them actually see each other again it was it was that's that's also a great issue if you ever I, i believe it's Uh, issue 11 or 13 I had to look it up today in the original series it's in the second graphic novel Mm -hmm. (laughs) really uh, very fun only thing I wanted to mention is one. I'm going to get it up this week. We did another watch party this week with the whole family, See, and we watched, that was so fun. Oh, we watched Aliens because we did Alien with the watch party quite a while ago, uh-huh. and I think you were the one who brought up the fact that we'd never watched Aliens. And man, it was a good time. Yeah, was it was really great. Fun. And mom and dad had never seen that movie before. Wow. So, yeah, and I asked her. I talked to mom today. She said she really liked it, which is cool because it's like it's got some violence and just a little bit of blood in there, but not that much. I'll tell you, the bit with Bishop at the end. Oh, that's rough. That's freaked me out more than so many other horror movies. Like all of the gore in a bunch of other horror movies does not match up with how horrifying that was to see Bishop getting attacked by the uh, Queen. It just goes on forever. Ever. It oh does. Gosh. Oh, they did not need to drag that out so long. They really didn't. Oh, my God. But it's really fun. I don't guess that we're going to be watching any of the other alien movies no. as part of the Watch I've, Party. I've never seen the third one, and I thought the fourth one was fine. I, you know what? It's funny. I have odd, fond memories of uh, the fourth one. I don't know why. Probably because Ron Perlman for crying out loud. Well, you yes. Know. Ron Perlman, Nona Ryder was in that one, too. No, and and I, right. I did like... You know, her part when it was revealed who she actually was. Um, But, you know, of course, a bunch of people have pointed out that whole thing with the fact that they took a like a DNA sample of Ripley before she died in the third movie and they did a clone. And because of that, they were able to clone the alien that was growing inside her at the time. And they had yeah. some botched clones that were like half alien, half human. And I'm just looking at all this going. That's not how cloning works. That's not how pregnancy works. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. (laughs) You know, I just write it off of being like, alien biology, whatever. It changes your DNA. Fine. Fine, yes. (laughs) Now, I've never seen Prometheus. Is that worth watching? Because I know you said that it's violent. I saw it, but I was watching it. Dad was watching some news program in the TV room, and I was in the kitchen and watching it in there, and sort of half-watching it. So I didn't see it from beginning to end, but I saw some bits in And I don't remember what they are, but I just remember being like, wow, that is so Super violent. Okay. Really? Not necessarily, like, uh, there was definitely some gore, but I'm not, I didn't put it in my mind in the realm of a gore fest, you Mm -hmm. know, and like just gross out humor. I just remember being like, oh my God, this is really super violent. (laughs) And also, I watched um, As Above, So Below the other day. So that was. I watched some of that as well. That's been a little while since I've seen that. Yeah, that's fun. That's just a good time. That is. That's right. And meanwhile, I am in the middle of the latest Sky book by uh, Naomi (gasps) Novik. Oh, oh my goodness. And? Oh, it is so good. I mean, they start right where the last one left off. I'm about a third of the way through. And I'm trying to make myself save it for like an evening when it's like kind of chilly outside and I'm curled up on a couch and can really savor it. Oh, man. Oh, God. I've I've reread Nettle and Bone, which is Ursula Vernon's novel from, I don't know, earlier this year, late last year. Time has no meaning. Um, I had already read it but it's been a while and I wanted to do a review of it. So I've reread it. So I'm determined to get a review of that out because that's a fun read too, but it's very much Ursula's usual thing. You know, there's people, there's adventures. There's a woman who doesn't think very much of herself and a guy who doesn't think very much of himself. And you're just sitting there going, Oh my God, just kiss her already. (laughs) And I, that's not an insult. All of Ursula's editors will say that is exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She has a, a a very good track record for all of that. I think. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. anyway i guess that's gonna wrap us up for the week so make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews the movie reviews the comic book reviews sometimes uh the photo galleries or the fan art galleries um nothing much going on right now convention wise still waiting to hear about los angeles comic-con new york comic-con looked like it was a fun time Mm -hmm, yeah Speaking of movie reviews, Hugh has three that have gone up very recently. He had the She-Hulk series or season one, I guess, which he gave a B. Which you know, you know how he is with movies. So. I have heard so many people saying so many good things about that series. I really need I to have. sit down and watch it. Yeah, though with him, the fact that he gave it a B means me makes me think. Hmm, I don't know. But anyway, um, he also did um, Werewolf by Night, which he thought was a very fun watch. which <laughs> I did not even realize was a thing, and that's what Adam Warren was riffing on in the Empowered series with Where Giraffe by Night. Aha, which, okay, which totally makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Now then he also just today, which I haven't read it yet, but he put up a review of uh, Halloween Ends, which Mm -hmm, is supposed to be mm -hmm. the end of the Halloween series. I believe he gave it a D. So that's... um, Has your friend David reviewed it yet? I cannot remember. Maybe? Um, I'll have to check it out. I think some people were upset about the ending. Ah, okay. Well... All that and more, pixelightgeek.com. So next week we will have our Laura Olympus episodes. Um we just stumbled across some uh it's the Locked Tomb series, that's Tamson Mirrors series. And we you heard us talking about Nana the Ninth and everything. We have stumbled across a lot of fan art for that. We gotta do a fan art post, I think, of yeah, just yeah. stuff from the Lock Tomb trilogy. Yes, definitely. And whatever else wanders across our path and distracts us. So one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to you later. <laughs> i So many notes because sorry, car. <laughs> Damn it. Charlie again. i honking your horn. Oh, you're frozen. Oh, you're frozen. Oh, wow, you're really frozen. We might have lost the connection. da 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 da. Oh, there we ah! Go. Oh, there you are. Hang on. Hello. 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 I can't see you. Hello. 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 That was weird. That was really weird. I mean, it just like it just stopped. I it just I, struggling. was just, just trying to connecting, and then nothing. Was so weird. Um, you had finished up your thought uh when you got done i oh. know you had said oh um we talked about just oh you had just talked about cousin chris's wedding yes yes okay yes, that's I where i ended it so. it so so let me just uh, figure out what we pick up after that like oh, shit, oh are you, you frozen stuttering oh again. crap you're frozen <sighs> oh you're back you're back okay are you're you back? back yeah okay
1: yeah you're back okay let's go. Oh. i was like there, are we gonna lose it again oh no um